Welcome to the Improv in Practice podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Wilson, bringing you interviews, inspiration, and information on improvised theater with Synergy Theater. You can find Synergy Theater's classes, workshops, performances, and more at synergytheater.com. That's S-Y-N-E-R-G-Y theater.com. Okay, lights down, curtain up. Hello, friends. It is July 1st, 2023, as I record this. Valerie Jord and I are happy to finally present you with our interview of the elusive Ben Piper of Synergy Theater. Ben started doing improv in 2001 at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Ben is a regular performer with Synergy Theater, and we talk about Ben's background and craft. We also talk about Synergy's upcoming show at the Lesher Center in Walnut Creek, a roll of the dice. Performances begin July 13th, 2023. Get your tickets now at SynergyTheater.com. Synergy Theater performed this format online in 2021, and you'll hear some audio from that time. I love the roll of the dice format, and Val and I, as ever, can't wait to see it in person. We'll see you there. Okay, let's get to the interview with crowd favorite... Ben Piper. Hello. Hello. Val, I feel like we have found our unicorn. Oh my. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> after a long journey. So through, true. So true. Many... I, could, I, I could only hide in the magical wilderness so long. See, Ben, you get it. <laughs> and we have finally found the unicorn and, and the unicorn has invited us to sit down for tea. <laughs> do my best to be as magical as possible oh you don't even have to try <laughs> ben ben piper thank you so much for making the time to meet with val and i i'm going to speak for myself i have questions for you that i've been dying to ask i'm hoping wow, okay i'm hoping val does too first off how are you i'm great and thank you very much for having me this is exciting i'm looking forward to it so the first question that came to mind when i was thinking about what I wanted to ask you, when was the first time that you stepped on stage? Wow. Uh, ever? Like not just improv? Ever. I, I did some children's theater through church. So though I'm not particularly religious these days, I was raised in a, a pretty religious household. So my mother had me in kids choir musical performances. So technically maybe at like th age three or four, what was on stage doing something. I recall at a very early age, <laughs> learning this song that was all the books of the Bible. Ooh. So I was uh, on stage singing all the books of the Bible. How old were I, you then? I was probably like three years old. I what? still know the song, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. <laughs> anyway, I won't bore you. <laughs> what do you remember about that feeling that you had performing for a congregation of people? <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. I've always, I don't know if it's been just like a people pleaser or I like words of affirmation and applause and laughter are very affirming. So it was, it was probably something that struck me early on that, oh, I like this positive feedback, something I still crave and enjoy to this day. Well, you are certainly a crowd favorite, I would say. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Yeah. 
now can you do you have another memory that maybe you were just a bit older and you were on stage again and your performance whatever you were doing but maybe there's a moment where you're like oh yeah this is a forever thing <laughs> yes i remember in eighth grade being in a choir group and we did little choreographed dances and sang melodies of pop hits and performing that in the middle school gym it was enticing to me at the time because we got to dance with girls so i liked that and concluding the performance and having the audience really respond very positively my friend my best friend at the time was also in the show looking over at him and him looking at me and us going like oh yeah this is the big time you know we love this what would your younger self, your eighth grade self, think of how you perform now? I think he'd like it. I had at, at some point, probably around that time, these ideas of becoming a stand-up comedian and was introduced to like comedy tapes, Jerry Seinfeld tapes, pre-cancellation Bill Cosby tapes, and just mm -hmm. like listening to them over and over and over, memorizing the bits getting the timing down. At some point, it sort of shifted from singing performance to getting this idea of, I, I really like making people laugh and entertaining people through storytelling too. I, I've performed pretty consistently, I guess, now that you mention it, for most of my life. What advice would you give your younger self? Oh man, probably to relax. I was a pretty high-strung kid. <laughs> Like, hey, little guy, it'll, it's going to be okay. You're going to turn out okay. I was that kid that was especially probably fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, trying very hard to be the class clown or be popular or make people like me. Typical pubescent insecurities and stuff. So maybe just tell myself, take a deep breath, try to relax a little bit. It, it's all going to be okay. What advice would you give your younger self as far as starting out as a performer? When I started doing improv, which was freshman year of college, on show days, I would be obsessively focused on, okay, tonight's the show, just constantly in the forefront of my mind. And now, just through experience, a lot of the anxiety around it is, is gone, which is nice. What do you find the most challenging about performing now? I just turned 40 this year and it's, it's having the same energy level that I had. I mean, I remember the flip side of being in college and performing, we would do an eight o'clock show and a 10 o'clock show, and then we'd go get dinner and then we'd go to a, a party. And it was just that boundless energy. It felt like looking back. And now doing a 40 plus hour work week and then doing Thursday, Friday, Saturday run of shows, having to like caffeinate and make sure that I am in that headspace where I've, I've set aside stresses or the distractions of the work day and can recapture the imaginative play element. That's probably what it is now, the biggest challenge. Oh yeah, I can see that. Definitely. Well, you you do bring a, a really fun and contagious energy to the stage. So cool. you're so you're doing that successfully. How do you do that? 
Well, I do have a ritual. Val's probably seen it because she is usually in the theater while we're warming up and before the house opens. This is something I, I even started doing toward the end of my college career. After warm-ups, before the house opens, trying to sit in the audience and just take a, a bit of a meditative break. It, maybe it's a little bit superstitious thinking or magical thinking, but to sort of just let the the energy of the theater space kind of wash over me. And I like to think of all the people that have sat in the theater over the years and who have been entertained in those seats. And then think of the people that are coming there tonight and just sort of let that trigger my energy levels. And so that's kind of my transition point. Yeah. That would be very grounding, but also yeah. en energizing, like you're carrying on a legacy that's been there since the beginning. Yeah, that's what I like to think of. I mean, I we're so lucky to perform at the Lesher. The space is, is so wonderful and you know, it's been there so long that I just, I can only imagine it has such a great history of awesome performances that have happened there. So I like to just think I'm sort of absorbing that energy to like trigger my adrenaline as a launching point. Well, your ritual works. Val, have you witnessed Ben in a contemplative state in the audience in the Vukasin Theater at the Lesher? I have. I had no idea what he was doing. I didn't realize <laughs> <laughs> how important that was. And in fact, it's so short. It feels like you're only doing that for 10 seconds. It varies how much time we get, because sometimes it's like we've been running our, our tech elements and our, our entrances and exits and everything. So there's only so much time to do it. I have to kind of cram it in. But I am often, yeah, the, the last one or one of the last people to go into the backstage area because I'm doing that. Now, have you already started the role of the dice rehearsing? Yes, the company is three rehearsals in and I've done two of the three and I'm very excited about it. It's a really cool format. Well, we would love to hear just a little bit more. Have you performed this format before? No, I know that the group performed it in online shows at some point, I think, but mm -hmm. it's my first time. It's such a cool format. Are you a gambling man? <laughs> I'll play it in a house poker game at maybe once a year or something, but not a regular gambler. Nothing with dice. <laughs> the odd family game of Yahtzee, but not for money. Oh, that's a fun game. The format is incredible. The dice decides. Ben, yes. can you tell us what's been going on in rehearsal? To briefly summarize, there are six performers and one host. And at the start of every scene, the host rolls six dice. And depending on the combination of numbers that come up, that dictates which of the six performers will be in the next scene. Our six characters each have a number, just like on those dice over there. And which of our characters are thrown together in each successive scene in our story? That's not up to them. That's up to chance. Everything happens by the purest of luck, the vagaries of coincidence, and the sad misfortune of accident. And then there's another die that gets rolled. And depending on what number that die lands on, that dictates what location the next scene will be in. It removes this pressure of figuring out, should my character enter or exit 
because it's it's all left up to the rules of the game based on what the numbers are and that's maybe the pro of it then the challenge part of it is to is to tell a two act full length play so having to run this narrative structure without knowing who's going to be in the next scene or or even having any control over that is a neat challenge well well maybe there's something we could do to like make it really awful for him like make his mother mean or or something and then well maybe there is but maybe they won't have the opportunity to put it into play because life in our town is not up to those who plan life in our town is up to those who roll the dice our next scene will involve characters oh look at that it's a double six a double one and a double three that means all three of those characters are in one three and six but where does it all take place yes in the cemetery and i've really realized in these last couple rehearsals when i'm off stage how much energy gets devoted to this anticipation of would my character be helpful if i entered this scene right now and what offer might my character bring in which is nice but can sometimes come at the expense of listening and being in the moment this format is cool because when you're not in the scene you're not at liberty to enter that scene will occur with the people who have had their dice numbers come up exclusively it really lends itself to good focused listening which is so key to improvisation i love it and you're almost answering a question that i i like to ask each performer that val and i interview and that is what has surprised you during rehearsal i initially thought i would be bothered by the fact that i wouldn't be at liberty to enter a scene or that i'd be sitting on the side thinking oh i have such a good idea for this scene right now but i can't enter and that's frustrating to me and that really hasn't been my experience it's been very freeing in a way to just be able to watch and absorb what's going on and then use that as building blocks if my number gets called for the next scene or or the next time my number gets called uh, improv in a lot of ways like they say is like building the plane mid flight this at least allows you to sit in the passenger seat for part of it and not have to worry about building the plane while that that scene is going on and that sort of peaceful pause is useful for seeing sometimes even better i think what the next things that the story needs are well i've noticed that you have a a wonderful sense of an interesting turn that a story can take often there is something that you'll bring to a story that I was not suspecting, but that just fits right in so perfectly. And I'm now I'm, I'm curious, Ken Adams, the artistic director, he is open to the performers in the group bringing ideas to him as far as directing goes. And it seems to me like you would be a great director. Have you had any ideas or is that appealing to you? You know, five or six years ago, before we performed in the Lesher, I had this idea for a show called The Joke Show. 
And it was based on this New Yorker article that, that took an old joke and it, it ran the whole setup and punchline, but then the story continued beyond the punchline. It was sort of like, what's the story of what happens in that world after the punchline has occurred? It wasn't really a long form. It was kind of like our, our mythology show in that it was a series of scenes that weren't necessarily interconnected, but we had this big almanac joke book and we would ask the audience to call out a page number and we would turn to that page and read the joke. And then we would act out the joke and then we would act out beyond the punchline. So you would stay in your character of whatever you were in the joke and you would go as long as the story arc took it. We did perform it once or twice, and we did have some great moments with it. Maybe didn't fully flush it out all the way, but it might be kind of fun to play with that again. I don't know if I'm necessarily drawn toward the directorial role, because I like the lack of responsibility <laughs> of just showing up and getting to play around and trying to make someone else's vision come true. But maybe one day, I know in the pandemic, when the group was exclusively doing online shows, which I, my wife had a baby in 2020. So we had a COVID baby. So I, it wasn't a great time for me to try to be improvising in the evenings online. So I didn't participate as much as I would have liked in those shows, but they did a Wizard of Oz show that was a spark of something that Ken and I had talked about. I would like to maybe one day investigate that fully, but I would really love for that to be a musical improvised show. And I don't know that we have the resources at the moment, although we do have some very talented musicians in our group. I don't know that they want to be trapped behind their instruments for the duration of a show. Oh, you guys could definitely figure something out. And, <laughs> and that would be amazing. And I, I like both ideas. And Beyond the Punchline is a great title for an improv show. Yeah. So it would be like, why did the chicken cross the road? Exactly. It, it, yeah. And then, and then the chicken gets over there and maybe they meet someone. And then so it's just what, what happens next. Yeah. 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 Or or knock, knock, who's there? And uh, or, like the interrupting cow, the interrupting cow, moo. Yes. But then why has the cow actually showed up there? And of course, it turns out the the cow is there to confess that they're having an affair with the door answerer's wife or something, you know, it's uh. like, it just goes on and it sort of spirals into this broader world. I do love the idea of these characters and jokes are so superficial. I love the idea of like flushing them out. What, what are their backstories? What was their childhood like? What, what are their thoughts and fears about things? So it, it was fun. Yes. And what you're making me think of is the show that just wrapped the mating game. That mm -hmm. is, that's a premise for a show that you would think would have one dimensional characters, but <laughs> these characters were fully fleshed out in front of our eyes and the performances were captivating and the characters came to life. And by the end of the show, you were really invested in yeah. who was going to end up together. Yeah. I, I mean, my my introduction to doing improv was all short form. That was probably what I did for the first, you know, almost exclusively for like the first five years of doing improv was all short form. And so I was familiar with the dating game as the classic short form game. So when it was posed as this idea, like, oh no, we're going to do two 45 minute halves. I was 
privately a little skeptical, like, wow, is there going to be enough meat on this bone? But I mean, hats off to Valerie, who directed, for knowing that it was there and that she could get us to do it. It was really cool. And that rehearsal process was really cool, too, because we were discovering elements of it all together, figuring out how to flush out these characters and, and make them have real deep relationships beyond just the shallow version that we saw as the TV show from the 70s. What were those conversations like? How did you guys figure that out? A lot of it was just trial and error. Valerie had a bullet list framework for us to work off of like this round can be the flirtatious round and this round could be the getting to know you round and this round could be the dating history round. And then we learned through experimenting with that, how does it work to convert it from just like a little pithy answer to more like traditional scene work that we're used to where imagine we're in Paris at the top of the Eiffel Tower and that launches you into this opportunity to get up out of the chair and do like a full scene together between the bachelor and the contestant. So uh, all of that, maybe it existed in some version of Valerie's head, but all of it came to reality through people just getting instincts in rehearsal. And what, what would happen if I just stood up right now? Or what would happen if I presented a hypothetical that launched us into you meeting my parents for the first time? You know, we, we yes and each other, which is really cool. We yes and each other, not only in in improvising, but also in coming up with how to do these shows. Like, oh yes, we could do this hypothetical where you're meeting my parents for the first time. Yes, and we could have characters who actually play the parents. Yes, and they could come in as special guest stars. So all of it kind of snowballs. And that's not to say there's plenty of things where we're like, what if we tried this? And we just said, no, that didn't work. Let's put that by the wayside. So we sort of whittled it down over the months that we were practicing it. We're doing that with the, the numbers show too. We had our rehearsal and we had set up this confrontation that needed a, to occur between these two brothers played by Griffin and Justin, but neither of their numbers were getting rolled. So we had like three scenes in a row where we had set up, okay, these guys need to confront each other and decide who's going to win. So it was just these side characters going like, yeah, when those brothers meet, they're really going to. But then we realized, okay, well, we can't have three of the same scene in a row where we're just talking about what's going to happen. That's going to be a big lull in the show. So we talked about their confrontation could have happened off stage and we didn't see it. And we could take a little leap into the future and be discussing the aftermath of what happened rather than being dead set on the dice, coming up with the characters we need on stage. Oh, I like that. So the dice doesn't dictate. Yeah, I mean, just because the two main characters need to have a confrontation and we need to know the outcome of that confrontation for the plot to continue, the audience actually doesn't need to see it. It could be, the next scene could be two side characters discussing, wow, did you see Jake talk to Jack and Jack told him this? And it, you can push the story forward without actually needing to see those characters physically have the conversation that you've set up. Now, to take you back to your college days, what made you choose to try improv? And then what made you stick with it? 
I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and in my freshman year, I was at orientation week. And one night my orientation group was supposed to go see this hypnotist show, but the group leaders didn't sign up in time and there were not enough tickets. So they said, well, there's this other show. It's the campus improv team. And I was somewhat familiar with improv. I had seen Whose Line Is It Anyway. I had never really done it, maybe goofing off with friends a little bit, but not in any kind of official capacity and was very skeptical, like, oh, we're going to go see this college improv group and it's probably going to be terrible. But then we went and saw the show and it was eye-opening, wonderful. I was like, oh, they're, they're actually terrific. I would love to do this. And at the end of that show, they said, we're having auditions in a week or two weeks. And so I tracked down the time and location and I ended up auditioning and I ended up getting cast and it was a shot out of a cannon from there. It was an awesome, like automatic friend group. And I found my tribe. These people get me and I get them better than like, because I, I had done, like I said, I, I had done a little bit of theater in high school. Uh, I was in choir in high school. So I had tried performing in various ways and enjoyed those, but this really was like, oh yes, this is my group. I feel that way about Synergy Theater and about the classes that I have taken and the people in the classes as well. And I'm happy to hear you say that because that resonates with me. How did you find Synergy Theater? I performed all through college and then I, I graduated and I moved to Seattle. And so I performed with a group up there called Jet City Improv for a few years. And then my wife and I decided to move back to the Bay Area. We're both from Northern California. And we ended up in the East Bay and I just did a Google search for nearby improv groups. And I found a group called Under the Sun, which was based in Concord and they were having this improv jamboree. And so I went and met the company members there. That's where I met Justin for the first time. He was in that group. And they ended up forming a more official group and inviting me to be part of that. So I performed with them for a year or two. And then that group dissolved. And I knew Justin had been in this other group, but I had met Ken. He had come to one of our shows at Under the Sun. And so, yeah, about almost 10 years ago, auditioned for Synergy. And it was just like Justin and Ken and maybe a couple other people. But I joined at the same time as a few other people. We were rehearsing and performing out of the Lafayette Community Center, which is really just like a glorified multi-use room. It's not even really a theater space. We'd have to set up chairs and lights for the performances to happen. And then it slowly just built from there, we now rehearse at La Miranda Music. We were performing there for a while. And as our group gelled more and we got more audience, now we're at the Lesher, which is just so awesome. It is so awesome. And yeah. hey, hey, Val, what do you remember about the first time you saw Ben perform or met Ben? Mm, that's easy. That was Sherlock Holmes. Ah, and I honestly didn't really know anybody except my son, obviously. So <laughs> coming to the show and 
it was just magical. And then here you come, Ben, bigger than life, wearing this amazing costume, <laughs> looking <laughs> just like Sherlock Holmes. I just about fell out of my seat because <laughs> <laughs> truly, truly, you, you guys are just magical on stage all the time. And so, yeah, I remember that show very, very well. Well, I'll say along the lines of finding your tribe, I'm just so happy with where the Synergy Group is right now. We've had members come and go over the years and love all of them, but I just feel like we're in such a special place right now where we have a great core. It is a little mind-boggling to think that like Ken, Justin, Lynn, we've been performing together for like almost 10 years. That's wild to me. But then we've, I guess it's crazy to think even Griffin's probably been on the team for like five years now. We all have such great chemistry because the core has worked together so well. And then we've recently been onboarding people who have been such great fits with our team chemistries. I know you recently interviewed Benny and he's great. And we've just brought in another performer named Rachel and she has taken classes with Ken and she's clearly got performance experience because she's really hit the ground running. So everyone, Rostu, Nikki, Eileen, it's a great chemistry right now. I agree. Wouldn't you agree, Val? Yes. In fact, it feels like a family, right? When, when one of you is not on stage, you know, it, it's feel like, where are my children? You know, yeah. I come in like the stage mom and I'm counting my kids, making yeah. sure you're all there. What I'm really curious, Ben, I, I've been dying to ask you this, is where do you get your bottomless amount of pop culture knowledge that you draw <laughs> on on every show? I'm just shocked at how much you know, and the audience can totally relate with what you say. Uh, I think part of it comes from doing improv for like 20 years and knowing that audiences like those little tidbits and references Part of it is just liking pop culture myself. My wife and I are both, we love to read, we love movies, we, we love TV shows. So it's just consuming a lot of it. And then also maybe I have a, a portion of my memory bank devoted to things like that or something. I don't know. Do you have favorite types of characters that you like to play, Ben, or that you find yourself gravitating to? That's a good question, too. One thing I love about improv is the variety. I like to be the plucky hero. I like to be the villain. I like to be the silly side character who maybe just pops in for a few beats. I always want my characters to be important to the plot. I'm not going to pretend like I don't have stock characters that I've pulled out before, but I wouldn't say there's one type that I like. I guess the type I like is different from the one I just did in the last one. So I'd like every night to be different if possible. One night I'd like to be the main character who's the hero. And the next night I'd like to be the dopey sidekick. And the next night I'd like to be the villain that everybody hates. So just keep it fresh and keep it different. Now, you've been improvising with Synergy Theater for 10 years. That's a lot of scenes. Just throw out a number. How many scenes do you think you've been in with Synergy Theater players? Oh, my gosh. I 
have a terrible memory for specifics of a lot of scenes and shows. People will say, oh, remember this show where we did this scene? And it's kind of like, oh yeah. Currently we're performing four times a year, four show runs a year. And I'm performing in about four shows per run plus weekly rehearsals. So at this point it would be hundreds. <laughs> it's gotta be. Yes. You say that your memory is fuzzy, but I'm sure that if you think about it, there are scenes that come to the surface of your mind when I say most memorable scenes. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Okay. I love all the shows, but I really like the ones where we're following high drama. And sometimes it's high drama with ridiculous stakes and obviously silly circumstances. One of the Dickens shows, Ken was my father and we had sort of a contentious relationship where I was trying to prove myself to him. And I was going to travel the world to make a name for myself at the audience suggestion of a marine biologist. And Ken had given me this fancy telescope. And then we reconnected after many years and Griffin played my younger brother who I was meeting for the first time. And Ken and Griffin had this very close relationship. And so I was very resentful uh, of it all. And so I, I confronted Ken about how he had been a bad dad. And toward the end of the scene, I pulled the telescope out of my pocket and I broke it over my knee and I threw it at him. Of course, it's all pretend. There's no telescope. I'm not breaking anything. But the audience reaction in that moment was so cool. Like we were all seeing it in our minds that I pulled a telescope out of my pocket and that it was this object of great value and importance and then to break it and throw it at him and Ken did an awesome job of reacting and the audience just oh like gasped shocked and oh and I, I I love stuff like that 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 is a scene that really sticks out at me as getting people so invested in the storytelling that we got this like visceral reaction it was really cool Oh, that sounds amazing. And I don't know what you're talking about, a fuzzy memory. That was really good detail. <laughs> that one I remember. Other shows I couldn't do so well. Val, do you happen to remember that scene? Yes, I think I cried when he broke the telescope. Oh my God. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I do. But I have to say, Ben, when you said villains, I really have not seen your dark side on any <sighs> show. I don't think you have one. Well, I, probably my villains are more buffoonish than truly <laughs> evil. I did in the last of the mating game show that I was in, got to play this conceited movie star who was visiting the set, trying to steal Ken's romantic interest away from him. And that was a lot of fun to get. At the very end, Eileen literally kicked me off stage and the audience all applauded as I got kicked off stage. So that was also very cool to like, I'm such a heel that they have this outburst of emotion when I, when I got vanquished. Okay. Then what would you say are your greatest influences, Ben, on your performances and, or your choice of characters? I really love the TV show, The Kids in the Hall, which is a, a sketch comedy group. On Amazon, they got like a new season. And so I recently watched their new season. That kind of inspired me to watch some of their old, I have some DVDs of their original seasons. And I realized in rewatching how tender they are toward 
all of their characters, even the characters that are despicable or absurd, they approach their character work with such honesty. There's never a winking moment where the actor is saying like, yeah, gee, this character I'm playing is so stupid, or this character I'm playing is such a jerk. They embody the character so much. It's like they, they just treat it uh, yeah, I can only say like so tenderly. And I think that has maybe unconsciously inspired me that when I'm playing a role to as much as I can embody the character and to care about what they care about and to be focused on what their priorities are and to justify their behaviors to the extent that, it, that it's never like, uh, I won't say I always do this perfectly, but never a self-conscious like pullback of or hesitation for diving in to what that character would want. I'm also a huge Steve Martin fan. So one of my favorite movies is The Jerk and how he's so smartly stupid. I love that comedy just speaks to me a hundred percent. So anything where you can cleverly be totally silly and stupid, I'm, I'm all in for. Well, I love watching you develop your characters on stage in front of an audience. And there is a very genuine affection that you bring to the characters that you're playing. And I, I've never witnessed a moment where you have any self-doubt in the character that you're playing. Val, what would you say? Yes, I think then, again, I'm just fascinated how you bring so much energy to every oh, show. And when you're not there, again, everyone is is equally great, but the dynamics are so different when you're there mm-hmm. and you seem to encourage a louder audience as well. <laughs> I, something about your personality, people want to be loud like you and <laughs> it's great. Yeah. That's very nice of you both to say and very it's true. to hear. Thank yes. You. When I watch Ben perform, I want to have as much fun as he is having. <laughs> That's it. That's yeah. exactly it. He looks, you always look like you're having such a good time, even if you were I, just by yourself on a chair. <laughs> you I'll seem say, to have so much fun. <laughs> I started doing improv in 2001. So 20 plus years of doing improv. I cannot think of a single rehearsal or performance where I felt worse after doing improv than I did before. I, I always feel better. It is always a tonic for me. It is always a chance to get out of my head and to put aside stress and to just play. On Thursday nights, when I'm leaving for rehearsal, I I have a 10-year-old and my son's about to turn three. uh, My wife always jokes because the kids will say, oh, where's daddy going? Oh, he and my wife says, he's going to play pretend with his friends, which is totally true. And anyone listening, if you're thinking of trying improv, do it. Because if you're looking to recapture the innocent headspace of childhood and just imaginative play, it is so restorative and meditative and good for you. I can't sing its praises highly enough. I totally agree. And I know (laughs) Val does too. Ben, what are your hopes for the future of your improv? I mentioned earlier, I turned 40 this year uh, and I had a great chance to do a long weekend with some buddies in Palm Springs and it was five other friends and they were all from my college improv group. 
when we all graduated, we all sort of went separate ways, but everybody kept doing improv. You know, one guy went to Chicago, one guy went to New York, a couple guys to LA, I went to Seattle. But then in reconnecting and talking about where we're all at now, I discovered that I'm the only person that is still actively performing and in a group. And I was just struck by how grateful I am for that fact that I found a group and found a home where I still enjoy doing this. It hasn't gotten soured for me in any way. I still look forward to it. I've, I love the people in Synergy. And so I guess what I, what I hope for it is that in 10 years time, I'm still feeling that way about it, that I still enjoy it and love it as much as, as I do now, and that it's still fresh for me and that I can still chug enough caffeine before the show so that I can muster the energy to keep bringing it when I perform. Well, I know that 10 years from now, I will enjoy watching you at the Synergy Theater Players just as much. And Ben, I would love to know, what would you recommend as far as performances, performers, books? It could be music. What would you recommend someone study if they want to look into improv or let's say they take classes and they love improv too, but they're just looking maybe for something beneficial? What would you recommend? For me, it's been realizing early that I enjoy not just performing comedy, but consuming comedy. So something that benefited me early on was listening to stand-up, coming home every day after school, watching the kids in the hall. There's a real musicality to comedy, I find. There's like a rhythm to it. It's kind of like a dance. It's kind of like a song. It's a buildup of anticipation and then a release of that with the punchline or with the action. So a good way to develop that rhythm, I think, is, is by consuming the greatest performers doing it. So I still like to catch comedy specials on, on Netflix. I, I like this show, I Think You Should Leave, which is a, a sketch comedy show. So I, I like listening to John Mulaney and reading books about the history of Second City, the history of stand-up comedy, and learning where the roots of all this come from can, can all be very inspiring. And in terms of developing improv skills, I think it's just finding every opportunity to do it. I, I think it's the Malcolm Gladwell book where he talks about if you do something for 10,000 hours, that's how you become an expert in it. And I was very fortunate to be on the improv team in college as a freshman, where we performed every week. Uh, I don't know if I have 10,000 hours of stage time at this point, but I do have a lot. And that's what's helped me be comfortable on stage and hone the skills. So if you're looking to really improve. It's hitting up every jamboree you can hit up, joining a group, joining classes, doing it as often as you can. That's not really a secret sauce formula, but lived experience, I think, is going to beat out theory and reading about it and watching it any day. How has your improv changed since you became a dad? Wow. I do find myself improvising with my children a lot, which is cool. And I'd like to think that 
their pure childlike imagination has inspired me to get into that that zone where anything is possible and something can start out as a non sequitur but it can blossom into this great thing kids are like naturally the best improvisers and when i ask my kids in a roundabout way i'm sort of asking for suggestions like well what do these characters do next or where do they where do they go or it's their birthday what has this one brought for the other one as a birthday present then they they'll come up with something absurd but it, you make it work and it turns out to be hilarious and super fun so it is inspiring in that way just to get to play pretend with kids i can't wait until they're old enough to i'm hoping they'll be willing to improvise with me one day when they're a little older cuz that would be a dream come true Yes, it's wonderful to have a kid in your <laughs> life and you, you don't have to be a parent, but if if you know kids, you definitely can benefit from their imaginations. When we get kids in the audience, there's a certain brand of kid that's like 8 or 9 years old where I just want to ask them almost exclusively for suggestions because they're never going to try to be funny or try to be clever. They're just going to hit you with a dose of pure spontaneity. The best suggestions I've ever had on stage have have all come from kids in that rough age range. Agreed. Yes. Val, is there anything that you would like to ask Ben? Maybe not ask, but just an observation that I came across your name recently, Ben, at work, (laughs) because we, we kind of work in the same industry a little bit. Yeah. So it was just funny that I was researching a previous project, not mine, and there was your name. And I I didn't even think about you in that kind of capacity. When I saw your (laughs) name, I'm like, oh, it's Ben, the improviser. (laughs) It just struck me as funny. I'm like, huh, I don't actually know what he does, except I know he does improv. (laughs) Ben, the improviser is more real than... Exactly. I, d- I don't know what Ben does for a living either, but I'm just, yeah. I'll just don't spoil it, Ben. <laughs> okay. I'll well, just throw out then Ben the improviser is more real than Ben the accountant or or <laughs> yes. Ben the mechanic or Ben the stockbroker. In fact, I hope I never know what you do, Ben. <laughs> I just <laughs> well, without giving too much away, I'll say a good portion of my job involves client services and improv has been invaluable in that respect, because when you have a client that you're collaborating with to meet their needs, they never want you to come from a place of no. The the idea of yes and is so universal to hear the offer that they're making, just like you'd hear a, a scene partner make an offer, and then to yes and let that be a springboard into your ideas. And before you know it, you're maybe you're the person I'm working with isn't even an improviser, but we're just doing that back and forth where we're inspiring the ideas of a project and a direction for a project just by being open to the possibilities. So improv has served me in in many ways. I've had a similar experience and I credit the Synergy Theater classes, improv classes that I've taken with, I now am able to think to myself, this person that maybe we're having a little bit of a, of a, a time 
getting both of our agendas or our task list met. However, that person to me now is the solution. That person is right. That yeah. person is not the problem. They <laughs> are the solution. And I know that comes from all of the practice and the classes that I've taken in the training that Ken provides expertly. And I definitely benefit from that. Does that resonate with the two of you? Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. I, I love that outlook, Sarah. Yeah. So Ben, is there anything else that you would like to talk about or any other performing projects that you're in? I'd like to say thank you so much. This was a blast. I definitely would come back sometime if you ever want to have me back. Thank you for doing this podcast. It's so cool. And to the folks out there listening, please come check out our Roll of the Dice show. It's going to be a ton of fun. It's purely improvisational. We're kind of on this cadence of a more structured type show and then a less structured type show. So we did Hitchcock, which had a little more of a framework to it. And then we did the mythology show, which was more open-ended. And then we've just come off of Dating Game, which had a, a more of a structure. And now by the very nature of this one, anything can happen because who knows what those dice are going to make us do next. And I love both kinds of shows. I love variety. So I love getting to do more and less structured things because everyone is different. So come check us out. It's going to be a great show. The rehearsals have been a blast so far, and I'm really excited. Val and I are excited too, right, Val? We can't wait. We can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Val, so much. This was great. Yes. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you, Bill. Thank you both. Okay. Have a good evening. Bye. Bye. All right. Night. Bye. And that's our show. If you think improv sounds like fun, it is. If you think you'd like to try improv, it's easy. Just go to SynergyTheater.com and click on School of Improv. Synergy Theater offers beginner, advanced, and master classes. Synergy Theater is also on Facebook. Please rate, review, and follow this podcast. Your support makes a difference. Synergy Theater is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit that depends on the participation of current and future star supporters and improvisers like you. Thank you.